Hello, and welcome to Fine Art Podcast, where the podcast is fine, but the art is fine. My name's Keegan Shiner, I'm the guy who asks questions, and today's guest is Justin Favela. He's a multidisciplinary artist, he makes large-scale installations, sculptures, and paintings. His medium of choice is piñata, and he explores the connections between art history, Latinx culture, uh, notions of authenticity, family, pop culture. It all combines into this soup of just fantastic, colorful, interesting, and provoking art that you have to see to really understand. You can find his art at justinfavela.com. We talk about the pictures on his website in this episode. So if you want to follow along before, during, after, uh, you can go on there and see what we're talking about. His work is also on Instagram. His newest work is on Instagram. It's at favifav, F-A-V-Y-F-A-V. You can find links to his podcasts on there, Latinos Who Lunch and the Art People podcast. You can also find his Instagram project, which I really love and we don't talk about on this podcast, called Taco Takeover Project, in which Justin models... Uh, well, I don't know. It says model on here. And he basically, he has been doing an ongoing research project of eating a taco in different places. And uh, it's just videos of him eating tacos. It's really kind of interesting. Uh, but you get to see a lot of different styles of tacos, which is cool. So, uh, <laughs> but that's not discussed on this podcast. That's just something you can do uh, while you're listening or, or afterwards. Um, as always on the show, we have a special non-fine artist join us uh, for the conversation. And this week's guest, you've heard him before. His name's Eric Schwartz. He's a Chicago comedian and host of Dumb Comic Creators Podcast. And a little behind-the-scenes drama, we had I had a friend lined up, and the friend had to go to the hospital uh, during uh, the interview time. So it just didn't work out. So I had to scramble and call Eric, and Eric was nice enough to jump on last second, no preparation. Uh, so kudos to Eric for jumping on. Um, but that's what's going on in this episode with the uh, non-fine artist. It just, uh, it was a last second thing. Um, so without too much further ado, I would like to just say, I'll talk to you on the other side. Enjoy. So uh, I wanted to be like almost before we begin the precursor yeah. to this interview, I wanted to say, I want you to be so mean to me on this interview because I listen to you on all your podcasts and all your interviews <laughs> and you're just like the sweetest, nicest person in the entire world. And it would just be so refreshing to hear you just be a jerk this entire time. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm well, just I see, that you're, I see that you're a performance artist, so that's not going to be too hard for me. <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Not I'm on this kidding. podcast. On that, no. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, almost think... mean. Hey, I'll give you credit because that was almost mean. <laughs> you think I'm nice? You're so nice on all your podcasts and all your interviews. You're like, you're oh, just really okay. polite and like upbeat. And it like it calms me down so much to listen to you talk. And, and uh, oh, that's funny. And your work's like really joyful and colorful. And it's just like, like this week, like researching all your stuff has been just like, like stepping into like, pure joy it's just been really nice 
I know like that's funny. the message behind your work isn't all joy, but like yeah. looking at your work like gives people a lot of joy, I think. Until yeah. you start thinking about it. That's cool. That's cool to hear that because I think my close friends will tell you that I'm a miserable person. <laughs> but I think it's because I think it's because like I express joy and have to be polite, like at it to the public, you know, because it's yeah. kind of like my Favi Fav or like my Justin Favela artist persona. And right. so I'm very professional and, you know, when I do interviews, I know what people want. So I just kind of deliver, you know, cause it's just easier for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're on yeah. quote unquote on. Right? I'm on baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Showbiz. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. For okay. sure. Interesting. Yeah. And also, and also like doing podcasts, like, I know what a good guest is. So like, I try to give that when I'm on another show, you know? Yeah. So how did yeah. you start doing podcasts? When did that come up? Um, well, I was actually like a big comedy nerd. So like for a very long time, I was listening to all like the Earwolf stuff and like Mark Maron's show. And so I, I would listen. I was a huge fan of WTF, for example, like I even flew to Boston to see his like <laughs> Mark Maron's first live show, you know? Oh, wow. And wow. so, and he did a live, he did a live WTF with all his Boston friends. And then um, he, he then did a live, he did one of his stand up shows right after at the Wilbur. At the and Wilbur. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so I was really into those shows. And then I, I don't know. I just got tired of hearing like white dudes talk to me about stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the people of color talking about cool shit, you know? So yeah, I started to, I started to search for those podcasts and I found podcasts that like the read, for example, based in New York with kid fury and crystal and they're both queer and unapologetic and just so black. I loved it. And so I was trying to find that, like in a Latino form, right? Or like, you know, or like a Chicano form, you know, something that I could relate to. And I wasn't, there wasn't anything at the time, 10 years ago, you know, like there yeah, was nothing yeah. like that out there. And so there was a few Latinx podcasts. And so I, I finally met an art historian that I could kind of banter with and joke with. Uh, and he was a Mexican um, art historian, not only is he Mexican, but he also focuses on Mexican art history, right? So it was perfect. Uh, and we started just having conversations. And one day I'm like, let's just record these conversations about art and oh, cool. identity. And that's how my first podcast started, Latinos for Lunch. Okay. And then, okay. Uh-huh, that was like five years ago. And then a couple of years ago, I started the Art People podcast because I started traveling so much because of my artwork. That and you were meeting artists and... I'm like let's yeah let me start and you know maybe their interview wouldn't really fit with latinos who lunch so it was just another platform where i could share oh, conversations cool. yeah do yeah, you have so guests that's... on the latinos that lunch yeah latinos who lunch um latinos who lunch sorry yeah it's based on, it's um it's based on that ladies who lunch you know that that term okay. um oh, oh but... yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, we do have guests probably like, we probably have like one guest a month, but okay. that shows more about the relationship I think between me and, and Babelito, the other host. Yeah. Um, or it became that. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I listened um, to a few episodes. It was really, really fun to listen to. Yeah. People really like the, the banter 
Um, so I kind of produce the episodes or the ones that I'm in charge of in that way where we just kind of read listener letters and have fun. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. So how I, the other question I have is, I mean, the first, so that was the precursor. That was all uh -huh. just the pre-interview. Okay. <laughs> uh, act one. <laughs> what is, uh, <laughs> how did you start doing art? What was your major originally in college? Because um, I know that you didn't start in art. So what was your original I goal? I was a band nerd uh, okay. for a very long time, like since middle school. And then when I got to college, I knew that I wasn't good enough to like keep pursuing music because I didn't like, first I could barely read music. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I was like a really great, I was a tuba player. And when you're in high school, um, if you could hold the instrument and pretend that you're playing it, like you were good enough, right? For a tuba player, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a tuba player, which is so disrespectful because there's so many talented musicians out there that play the tuba, but oh, for sure. it's just, it's just the reality. Like if you're a boy, you know, that can sing <laughs> and kind of hold the note, like you're the golden, you're like choir boy, right? Cause it's like, wow, a man that wants to sing in choir. So, yeah. but anyway, so when I got to, when I got to college, I knew I needed to change my major or, or my focus. And so I thought I really wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I studied history. So I was going to do like secondary education history. Cause I really do love history. And um, I took a, I took a humanities course and I ended up taking up an art class. And when I took that art class, it really opened up a whole new world. Cause like, I really loved being creative mu musically. Um, okay. But yeah, I was, know, a, I was a saxophone player myself. Like, oh, yeah. And then I started tenor doing sax or alto both and wow. soprano and Barry sax one year. Um, cool which had all the tuba lines. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, this is Eric Schwartz. He is Hi. my friend from Chicago. Hi, Eric. Do you have the right internet connection, Eric? You froze. Uh, he has to like connect through his phone, although now he's completely frozen, so. Is it, and hopefully he's switching over. Sometimes this is a bit, but I don't think it is right now. <laughs> Oh, he's staying pretty still. That's great breath control, if it yeah. is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I played saxophone. But then I was... Uh, Did so you play I, it in college? I played... Then I switched to jazz piano. And then... Oh, wow, uh, you were like legit. <laughs> and then my last two years of high school, I kind of just focused on p jazz piano. And then I played that in college. But I went to Purdue, so there was no major for it. Oh, yeah. So I started uh, in college as like an industrial management major <laughs> because my parents didn't want me to be interdisciplinary um, because they, they thought I would never graduate in time if I did that. Uh, but I quickly dropped. That was like <laughs> engineering math and engineering science. In time for what? <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know. <laughs> And then, uh, so yeah, so then I dropped that and I switched and I got like a film major with an English minor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You good now? You think? Good. Yes. Okay. Okay. Eric, this is Justin. He's nice a super you. famous artist. He's like really rocking it right now. Cool. Yeah, I'm very famous. Thank you for joining me. 
Uh, Justin actually runs two podcasts. He's a podcaster, just like you. Okay. I only do the one, technically, so. <laughs> okay. I've been so you're not guest. as good as him, yes. <laughs> I've been a featured guest on this one a couple of times. Okay. What? <laughs> Nothing. Thanks for contributing. Okay. Uh, so we were just talking about being in bands. Eric, what did you play when you were in band? I played euphonium until eighth grade <sighs> and then stopped because I hated band. I loved it. I was I started as a euphonium player and then uh, uh, went to tuba because it was easier. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I also tried I tried to play the trombone, but it was hard because I'm left-handed and we only had right-handed slide trombones oh wow so it was hard but i got away with playing the bass trombone because it was also slow oh. like the tuba oh yeah. yeah yeah with the trigger yeah with the the valves yeah mm-hmm. oh cool mm-hmm. cool did you keep playing do you still play tuba i i own a tuba and a trombone and i will i will i usually just bust it out to be funny it's just like <laughs> to to do like polka sounds while i walk it's like a um, party trick now. Yeah, it's just a party trick. I do. I, I the tuba I've lent out to a couple kids that you know that could use it for school. That uh, my my a lot of my friends now have kids because you know I'm getting older. Yeah. And so the tuba is getting some good use out of it right now uh, from from my friend's kid. But uh, oh, cool. Okay. I just kind of stopped playing. I don't know. Yeah. It just you know it just makes a lot of noise and my neighbors don't like it so i just pick, <laughs> decided to pick up podcasting as a hobby instead it's a little quieter yeah <laughs> yeah so justin you're can i call you justin is that yes. what, is that your uh okay no nicknames yeah. or anything okay <laughs> I, yeah i mean that's my name but i mean i have the the favi persona on latinos who lunch because we decided that we were going to try to remain anonymous on that show uh, because we were going to be so brutally honest that nobody would want to hire us for any art gigs. <laughs> um, it was mostly for my co- co-host, who's a, who is a true academic, you know? So, um, but I knew it from the beginning. I'm like, you know, this. there's no real, like, there's not really many art historians that have like a fun podcast out there. Right. And of course, now he wishes that he would have used his real name because... Um, oh, wow. Latinos who lunch has gotten him so many opportunities uh, because he's like a young hip, you know, <laughs> well, in the academic world, like a young yeah. hip professor. Um, and I'm already like sick of his shit. So it's like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So you guys, you guys used, uh, you were anonymous when you started that. That's so interesting. Well, I mean, I, I was never anonymous. I used, I, I mean, fa, I used that Favi Fav name as my, uh, as, as my um, handle on all my social media. So it's never been a secret. But as far as like Googling us, it's kind of hard to, to find, you know, to connect us with the show if you don't know. Like, oh, you cool. know, I mean, if you go on our website and read our bios, you, yeah. you connect it right away. But nobody reads right right yeah well at this point actually you can find it really fast because it's in every interview that you've ever done <laughs> and it's like mentioned I mean, right away two yeah, minutes yeah, of I, homework I, and they can find out yeah yeah exactly 
Wait, so I want to show Eric some of your work really fast. Okay. That's cool. Doritos. So, yeah, these yeah, are I love, Doritos. I love Doritos. How big are these? These are these are pretty big. They're like three feet. Okay. Cause like, yeah, because right there just that picture by themselves. I thought you literally just took some pictures of Doritos and took a picture <laughs> of them. No. They're made from cardboard. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they look just like Doritos. How'd you do yeah. that? They're just paper and cardboard. That's it. I just layered a bunch of paper. Oh, I primed the cardboard white so the color would be brighter. But yeah. Oh, cool. I just 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 layers of paper and uh, glue, tissue paper and glue. I love Doritos. Me too. Is this uh, is this after performance or is this um, was this in a gallery? Uh, this is in a this was in a gallery space. Okay. Um, yeah, I made this big bird for for an art show here in Vegas. Okay, and you you like Muppet stuff? Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah. Or do you yeah. hate Muppet stuff because you keep killing them? Oh uh, <laughs> no, I love them. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I I love connecting my work to like to TV, and so I've done a lot of work, kind of like investigating my connection to. The PBS, because, you know, as a first generation immigrant, like that's how I learned how to speak English was by watching PBS when I was a kid. So I have a really strong connection to like the Muppets and like Mr. Rogers and all the, you know, old school 80s and 90s PBS yeah. shows. Yeah. Interesting. So why, why are they dead to you? Why do you uh, think they're he, dead? <laughs> uh, he's in repose. Uh, okay. I wouldn't say Big Bird is dead, um, but I made this piece um, years ago, actually, and it was when there was like I think there was like rumors of Sesame Street being being uh, canceled, um, okay. and eventually they did take it off of the they did take it to HBO. I think it still is like run by HBO. It's not and on then PBS later anymore. I think that it's. I think the new episodes are on HBO, and then later they they put them on PBS, kind of thing. Oh, so okay. it's still on there, yeah. Um, and so you know, just thinking of like the end of an era, right? And um, and I decided that I wanted to make this piece about kind of like this loss of innocence and like the idea that really what where this piece came from was the shock of um how big bird is actually like puppeted because right. when because growing up as a kid i was always like it's like magic i'm like it must be like <laughs> remote controlled like the way that big bird blinks and it must there must be like three people in there and then i saw a diagram online i'm telling you the internet ruins everything i saw <laughs> a, a an image of carol spinney in the costume and yeah. it's basically just him holding one one arm up, controlling the eyeballs with two fingers, the beak with three fingers, basically, and then one of his one of his hands is Big Bird's hands, and the other one's kind of a dead hand, right? Right. That's connected with the with the fishing wire. Yeah. And uh, and then he just has a he kind of has a, he has a TV monitor strapped to his chest, so he can and, watch what's going on and react to the other. Yeah. Act. Yeah. And when you learn about when you learn how to do the magic trick, it just kind of kills it the magic. It. Yeah, yeah, it ruins it. And it just like, uh, I wouldn't say it like shattered my idea of like what the magic of Big Bird, but 
it definitely gave me that feeling uh, that I hadn't had for a long time. Because, you know, as a kid, you constantly have those, th- those, uh, those moments where you're like, oh, what do you mean? The tooth fairy is not real. Santa yeah. Claus isn't real. And then, like, you grow up and you're like, oh, Jesus isn't real. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. The government isn't real. Right. So then it's just yeah. like, you know, you just keep having those moments, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really what that piece is about. So it's just like an exhaustion or like uh um so it's more like a costume on the floor almost like yeah it's kind of like a costume on the floor yeah um yeah exactly that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah we're just diving right in here mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah so this is a pinata eric it's it's a low right low rider pinata that's really cool and it's all cardboard yeah, that was the first, one of the first really big lowriders that I've ever made. It's to scale. It's a nineteen sixty. It's based on nineteen sixty four Chevy Impala, okay, which is like the most famous lowrider model ever. You hear it on a lot of songs and stuff. And uh, uh, this was a show I did. One of my first big art shows that got a lot of attention. It was at the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in. Bentonville, Arkansas. Wow. Um, yeah, they built this. Uh, Alice Walton, she's the heiress of the Walmart um, oh, cool. Kingdom Empire. She she built this huge, like, I don't know how many millions of dollars they spent on this museum. They like rerouted a river, and then floated a museum on top of it. Um, it's amazing. Wow. And. Um, and now Walmart headquarters is back in Bentonville, Arkansas. So they're investing a lot of money into building out the town and making it an arts destination. So this was like their first big art show there. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. This is massive. How large How large is this? It's like the I, size of a real car? Yeah, it's the size of the car. I think it's like 17 feet long, 17 oh, and cool. a half maybe feet long. Yeah. Do they have any music or anything playing? No, they didn't. They didn't okay. have anything in the gallery. Yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> no. Was it, was it filled with candy? No, no, no. Not no. I didn't fill it with candy, no. You ever put candy in your in your work? That's a good question. I never ha- I never have. Um I kind of see my role as like the piñata maker, you know? Like you would never Yeah. You would never expect the piñata maker to put the candy in there. You got to go get it yourself kind of thing. So I feel like I just make the vessel and then you can fill it with whatever you want kind of thing. How did you get interested in pinatas? Or uh, are you in, are you are you interested in pinatas? That's a good question. I, you know what? <laughs> Nobody has ever asked me that. Thank you for asking me that. I I am not interested in pinatas. <laughs> um and then he on. left the interview I'm so, and then, <laughs> bye <laughs> no pinatas done yeah how dare you um, even ask me that no no um but oh I, I mean i think the first time i made a pinata sculpture it was uh it was like a commentary on like the it was a commentary on like everything that surrounds the act of like busting into a pinata at a party right so i hated pinatas growing up as a kid because i was always a queer kid and like a soft kid and like very emotional in that sense you know like in touch with my feelings 
Um, and it was always, it was always something bad, you know, it was like, it wasn't praised, you know, to be like this little kid that, uh, didn't like to like bust open a, <laughs> a cardboard, uh, effigy and like eat the candy from it. So when I first started making art about like identity, I thought, oh, this is like full of symbolism here. It's about like toxic masculinity. It's about performing masculinity. It's celebration, it's death, it's whatever. It's all, it's all these different things. And so that's why I thought it would be a cool symbol to use in a sculpture. And then 10 years, 10 years later, here I am still making these fucking pinatas that I <laughs> didn't even want to get into. You're not um, even really but, that into interesting i mean it's not that i'm not into them it's just like well i'm into it now because i've made it my own like because when i first started making them like that low rider they were a literal interpretation they're like this is a life-size car pinata you know that, wow that cool. is like the epitome of male tox like toxic male masculinity well like the low rider is like the, i i like that symbol because it kind of combines both both of those worlds like low rider culture Mm -hmm. is also in that way it's like it's like a man's game and it's like a, a man's art form and women are really always excluded from the narrative of you know the lowrider culture right. when they're like one of them you know they're the pillars of the community that work hard so their you know husbands can have this really expensive hobby yeah. um so I, I thought that was a cool kind of juxtaposition but now I use the, I think, I don't think of pinata in my art as a object. I think of it as a medium. So yeah. I started, I started making like installations with tissue paper and cardboard and paintings and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering that. Do you want people to beat the hell out of your work? <laughs> like eventually, you know, it, because of the medium, that's like the kind of yeah. the potential energy behind your work is I want to hit this with a bat, you know? Even <laughs> I never, I never think of that. I have never thought about that. Only people bring that to my attention. Okay. And I think it's because of that, because as a kid, when it was pinata time, I would just hide because I didn't want to be a part yeah. of the ritual. I would literally go hide under a table until it was all over, you know, <laughs> like, and so I don't think of pinata as something that you hit. I just think of it as this thing that I avoided. <laughs> They're beautiful objects until people yeah, destroy. I was always upset that the like this like really beautiful object was destroyed at the end of the experience, right? I think I was yeah, I was right insane. there with you as a kid. Yeah, and these these pinata makers spend so much time on these things and people scoff uh the prices that they have to pay like over 30 bucks for a pinata but you're like you know this guy probably spent like or a family of people spent like weeks making these pinatas in like a uh you know an, an assembly line right. so that they could kind of be affordable so they could barely scrape by to pay their <laughs> rent you know what i mean yeah. and you won't pay more than 20 bucks for a pinata like come on i know and so yeah i go to this local guy here in vegas and he's always happy to see me because I'm like, what do you got? What's your most expensive pinata? Like, cause I love them. Cause they, they will make custom stuff for me sometimes, which is really cool. Oh, cool. And they charge me like $80 to do like a custom pinata. I'm like, you need to start charging people more. You're wow. amazing. You know, Vegas is awesome. And, <laughs> you can get that yeah. kind of stuff in Vegas. No, oh, this yeah. guy will make anything. I could just bring a picture in and it'll look janky as hell but he'll make it which is so amazing which that's like the charm of it 
you know i want to do more work that kind of focuses on that kind of like the bootleg version of something you know i love that yeah yeah um, which is kind of why i got into the muppets like making my own version like and they right. ended up being a little bit more sinister than like the real ones what's um, interesting but, that the the pinata like that paper texture looks a lot like the stringy felt texture you know it's like it's yeah a similar texture that you can achieve mm -hmm, which I, exactly. I thought was really interesting looking at the the muppet i love muppets i'm a big muppet nerd so um, i know i had dreams of working for jim henson company or sesame street workshop you know um and i'm i you know i'm never say never maybe i will get that opportunity someday you could um, you could but uh i'm fine just making my own in my garage <laughs> <laughs> yeah have any of your sculptures ever worked as puppets have you ever like got them to move around and i have i did in the, in, in the beginning uh uh when i started making sculptures i would make puppets um but that didn't really interest me at the time and now i've kind of shifted back to it Okay. I just started. I just started collecting a bunch of fabric, and I learned how to sew last year. Oh wow! So I'm. I think I'm heading back in that direction. Oh cool! Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I made one last year too. A, a oh, what was it? It was like a little muppet, a blue muppet, and and I used them in a performance where I was. Um, I was like painting and exercising and playing a video game and talking on the phone or like a Zoom call with yeah. a friend. And like all at once and and the puppet was like in charge of painting <laughs> so i would like oh, have to funny. put him on and then he would paint and then yeah it was just it was stupid but oh that's fun yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know i it's it's like uh the nice thing about art is like it doesn't have to be functional you know so when you get into like it actually having to fit on your hand and not hurt you and you have to move like that's a whole <laughs> That's a whole thing that I, like uh, I don't I don't know if I have the patience for it, but I'm gonna try. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's look at another work. Yeah, you're you're like really old stuff. Oh, we're going back. Well, on your website. Oh yeah, my website's really bad too, so that's good. All right. <laughs> Here is Eric. Describe this for our listeners. Sombrero zebra. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where is the sombrero, Eric? It's in the middle of the floor. He's on the ground. And that's the title of the piece, Sombrero on the Ground. Floor, floor Sombrero. I'm sorry, Floor, floor Sombrero. sombrero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you make this? I did. Um, okay. So this piece is about, basically it's about cultural appropriation and it's about like minimalist. It's kind of, it's, it's not kind of, it's definitely poking fun at like minimalist art. Uh, of like the 60s and beyond you know yeah like the audacity of these white men to like make a make a cube and just put it in a gallery and like this is art admire it you know <laughs> and so i i really love the work of like uh klaus oldenburg and oh my lights just went out in my house um it's all right I still have internet so i still have internet i'm good i'm good um and so <laughs> this piece is actually a a sombrero that I got at a like at a party city store at a party city supply store or something and I dunked it in gesso and then took it back out and then it it was just this white sombrero that 
kind of look like I made it from scratch. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then nice. I just painted, I painted the exact same thing on top of it. Um, okay. so it looks, so it looks like a ceramic sombrero. Um, and so it was, that was just that action, uh, was like a way of me taking that symbol back, you know, like reappropriating yeah. it. Um, and then putting on the ground, I thought was a funny, like tongue in cheek way of like having people walk through the gallery and having to like walk around it and like, you know, Mexican hat dance kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's many layers to this piece, but, uh, those are, funny. those are a few of the things that I was thinking about. That's great. That's, that's a lot like the Rauschenberg erases to Kooning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. This was the same show or a different show? I think this was the same show. Yeah, this is like my thesis exhibition. That was actually okay. the one of the first piñatas that I ever made. Oh, um, really? And it's a two-scale donkey piñata. <laughs> like if you Googled piñata back in whenever I made this, 2008, um, that, a donkey piñata was the first thing you saw on Google. So I just recreated it but made it anatomically correct anatomically correct and it looks very depressed too yeah it looks very depressed. yeah that, that donkey does not seem to be happy with the rest of its life i mean it's hanging from a rope in a gallery i think i'd be bummed out yeah yeah <laughs> as well doesn't dolly have donkeys in his paintings it, it just reminds so. me of a painter like a painterly donkey there's also an artist that does like horses hanging from walls i forgot his name um, but the, I think maybe I was also referencing that artist as oh, well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm really referencing Eeyore the most, though. <laughs> Another Muppet, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this piece, I mean, it's like a sad donkey. I mean, the lighting also helps make it more dramatic, but like uh, in the photo, but like, I just always thought it was so strange that kids beating the hell out of an animal, you know, like, what are you, what are we teaching the kids? So to make it look like a real donkey, I thought would kind of put that point across, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of dark humor in your work, like yeah. this sort of satirical F you to like the, the norms or like what's cute, you know? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Mickey and Minnie Mouse are mice, like rats that people like. Like, what the hell is that? You know, like it's yeah, it's pretty dark, like as is, if you really think about it. <laughs> well, I mean, and Muppets, if you've ever watched that show, like the proper Muppet show, uh -huh. like somebody's always getting eaten. And that was like a big part of the show. Like there were always Muppets killed in those shows. Eagers always that got was just like funny because they're going rah, 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 right and that makes it like funny but or, or like cute but like those muppets are dead now yeah i know i know it's like uh have you guys ever been to disneyland before like, i've been to I've, disney world yeah when i was a kid i think i went to disneyland the first time when i was like five or six and i thought every ride was terrifying and I went again as an adult and I'm like, yeah, every ride is fucking terrifying. Like the oh, message God. and every ride is like, okay, you're going to lose one of your parents, first of yeah. all, or you're going to be orphaned from the very beginning. 
and then you're going to go through and all these monsters are going to chase you <laughs> and somebody's going to die at the end. Like every fucking ride uh, yeah. is that. Except yeah. for maybe it's a small world, but then that one is terrifying as well. Oh, that one's got yeah. its own problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The rule of thumb is if you have step parents, they're automatically evil in Disney. There's a 95% chance your mom's dead. Um, and two, you should be kissed by a man to save your problems. Yes, exactly. I also love that all the all the villains are gay. That's very interesting <laughs> to me too. Like yeah every single one yeah it's very strange mm. the first uh official gay character according to disney canon is lefou from beauty and the beast guest on sidekick and yeah if you ever saw the movie he's i you don't originally know he's gay because they say afterwards lefou is gay but like there's literally zero implication he's gay because like they don't ever explore that at all I mean, I knew it from the very beginning. I mean, Gaston is the gayest. Gaston is actually the gayest Disney villain ever. Um, second to Captain Hook and Smee, right? Like, those guys are definitely getting oh, it yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean Captain Hook's it, wig. They're in, world, they're, <laughs> they're in a world that there's literally two girls the entire time, one of which they brought in, so... Yeah, and it's like, and then there's like a teapot and an armoire. Like, there's not a, not, there's not much choice in the village. Yeah. Uh, classic. This is called Grande. Oh yeah, this is bong? an old piece. Bang. bong or bang? Okay. Bang, like big bang. Yeah, this was uh, this was um, just found pinatas that I that I kind of Frankenstein together. So for a little while, I was exploring the idea of using found pinatas as a as a medium. Found um, as in, like you found them in the trash. Found the them in the. Some of these I found in the trash, and some of these I found at the store. Oh, okay. And uh, okay. yeah, and so that it was kind of creepy because I would just like walk around parks and be like, <laughs> "Are they done with their pinata? Can I go grab it?" I'm like, "I can't be doing this. I'm going to definitely be." Some kids just hitting it, and you're like, "Give me that!" <laughs> oh, are you gonna take that? Yeah, and then um, yeah, you're so like shaking was... the candy out, like, "Get this out!" <laughs> yeah, so um, I kind of let that idea go a long time ago, but um, that this was a result of of of, of thinking that. So yeah, so I made this kind of like freestanding sculpture with these works. That's cool. Yeah, it looks mm -hmm. like a bunch of feet coming out, like they all just yeah. ran into each other. Yeah, it's a bunch of different ones. That's awesome. This is called, uh, this isn't called what I thought it was called. <laughs> yeah, this has a long title. This is, I, uh, I can't, I can't pronounce the first couple of words. Popocatépetl. Yeah, I can't even, I can't even pronounce it, honestly, but it's, uh, it's a painting by Jose Maria Velasco, who is, uh, it's based on a painting made by Jose Maria Velasco, who is like a 16th century um mexican painter mexican painter exactly and so this was when i started getting into mexican art history and you know we know about like the muralists we know about frida and diego you know but like what came before that and so during the conquest of mexico um uh, when they started colonizing it the spanish government uh paid the mexican government and spanish government 
uh, paid his, the school of artists to make these beautiful landscape paintings to further advertise and oh. to, to colonize Mexico, basically. So yeah. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Like these beautiful landscape paintings really had kind of the sinister uh, purpose, right? And right, so right. that was perfect to kind of like pinatify uh, these paintings. So this this was the beginning of a of a new a new way of thinking about the pinata and. Like, because back in the day, those paintings were entertainment. That was popular culture. They would hang them up at different world expos, right, um, right. or or you know, in in halls in Mexico or in churches, so people could go see them and and see the beauty of Mexico. They're like postcards, basically. Um, and and you know, and so you know, thinking about like popular culture and popular media now, seeing the pinata as that, and kind of mixing all that together. It's interesting. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm still making these. This was, I think this was the first one I made. And now I'm about 35 deep. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And I'm, tr I'm trying to, the goal is to, to make all of them, all of the paintings that Jose, Mar Jose Maria Velasco made, or all of them that are archived anyway. Uh, I'm making them all to scale. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I saw some... I saw the um, the one at the kissing through the curtains show. At the yeah, Mexico. yeah, that's kind yeah, of yeah. That one. <laughs> that's when that I reached out. Yeah, yeah, that one's in there. It, it has dulled a lot since then because this one's like really old. But that's this painting is in that show. This painting is in the show. Oh, uh huh. Okay. And yeah. you're saying that the the paper dolls. Yeah, the color kind of dulls in the paper after a few years, especially if it's put in like in a room with a lot of natural light. Oh wow! Um, so usually in museums, I it's preferred that the paintings are in a room that doesn't have direct sunlight in it, or else they'll it'll it'll kind of white out the painting. It'll fade. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you coat them ever, knowing that, or no? I don't. I don't uh, because it kind of loses. <laughs> you know all the all the pieces of paper kind of stick together and mat and get all like a mat you know so yeah i don't like to do that no interesting wow so there's kind of a a time limit on these sort of yeah sort of i mean if you take care of them a lot of museums have have uh you know figure out where to put them so that they're in a safe space and then some collectors and stuff have framed them in like uv you know frames and stuff so that they okay yeah, the 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 archival nature of the works has been a big concern for a lot of collectors and museums. Okay. Um, and and I used to care about that, but I don't care about that anymore. I'm just gonna keep making them. And and this that idea of making archival work really went out the window when I went to Paris a couple years ago, and I went to the Picasso Museum. <laughs> And they had dozens of paintings Picasso made on cardboard on full display. Yeah. And I was like, well, what the fuck is everybody <laughs> so, so concerned about? about? Like they're able, they were able to preserve all of these Picasso paintings. Like yeah. if they really want to, they could, they could preserve these, you know? I mean, chances are they'll be able to buy tissue paper, this color in the future and just re-stick it on. Right. Exactly. Isn't that what they do? The paintings, you know, they exactly. just repaint them. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, <laughs> just tell them to buy some tissue paper if they're worried about it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I, actually, I had a I had a um, studio visit with people from Christie's once. Yeah. And there was an archivist in the group, and somebody brought up their concerns about the like the ephemeral nature of this stuff. And the archivist was like, uh, "That's not. That shouldn't be the artist's concern. That should be my concern as an archivist." Yeah. You know, like artists should be able to make whatever they want, and then the music, the institution needs to figure out how, how to, to categorize it. and keep it. You know keep yeah. it vibrant yeah interesting and so yeah i was like yeah that's right <laughs> these are so cool they're like they're massive and they're mm -hmm. like they just draw you in no matter what room i'm sure no matter what room they're in they just draw mm -hmm. you in because they're just colorful and unlike anything you've seen although i was pretty loud when i was like look at those flat pinatas <laughs> and like, yeah. people were staring at me and i was like well, that's just how I am at museums, but good. Disrupt it. Disrupt but I'm so happy that they were flat pinatas. I wasn't wrong in this case. These were flat pinatas. No, you were absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, because my wife was like, "Shh, the, the paintings." <laughs> and, without paint. Right, without paint. Yeah, paintings don't have to have paint, Eric. I know. I like to. I I like to call them yeah I like to call them paintings because painters get really mad when I call them paintings. Oh really? So really? well yeah because there's a lot of traditional p people you know like traditionalists that oil painters and and landscape painters. No, that, this is pointillism. You should just call it what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. People have called them paper mosaics, but I just keep calling them paintings. Oh yeah, pointillism. It's it's more like pointillism. Yeah, yeah, for sure. To me, anyway. Do you mm -hmm. do you ever put these on in different angles, um, the little pieces of paper to get different textures, or are they all vertical? Yeah, I always do the same angle. Okay, vertical. I Is don't know. I don't know why. I just have all these rules in my head about about the way that the paper is laid out. Okay. Um, and it's just, I like to have certain constraints and limitations within my work. Just to keep everything kind of in the, I, I don't know. At the beginning, I don't think it was on purpose, but now I now my work definitely has a certain aesthetic to it that okay. I really enjoy. And I like what happens when everything is in the same direction because you kind of get this, uh, this pixelation that happens, you know, that's yeah. really cool. That references where I got the images, which is Google Online, images. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it also makes it so that like um, when you take a picture of it, for example, when you saw them in person, I'm sure it's a different experience than seeing it in a picture because the your phone or your camera will kind of fill in the information that's missing and kind of smooth out the painting. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because it's like in little pixels already. Oh, okay. Um, and so when you're in person, if you're really close to the painting, it's very abstract. You have to kind of stand back to see what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's but if so you were in that same, yeah, if you were in that same gallery and you held your phone up to it, you could see it in your phone. Oh, that's that's cool to know. That's that's mm -hmm. nice to know. Mm -hmm. We should talk about some of your new stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when was this though? When was Pinata Motel? Um, I don't even remember. It should say on there. Twenty sixteen, maybe. Twenty sixteen. Was was this in Vegas? Yeah, so this was part of a like a public art 
uh, piece that I made for a music festival. Okay. Um, they have this music festival called Life is Beautiful here in Vegas, and they kind of take over the downtown area. Okay. And uh, I was I was given the task of 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 uh, doing a mural on this. And I said, well, can I just turn this motel into a pinata? And they said, sure, go for it. <laughs> and so in five days, uh, we, five days? Wow. we had five days on a cherry picker to make this happen. Um, and I learned a lot from making this, but it was so fun to, to cover this building in, in paper. Yeah, because there's a lot of buildings like this in Vegas that are kind of abandoned or they bought them. And they're, you know, they're kind of just sitting there empty. Interesting. And so I've all, I always wanted to make a building into a pinata and then have like a bulldozer and then knock it <laughs> Not, down. Like a pinata? Um, nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, especially in places that are being violently gentrified, like downtown Las Vegas. Yes. As like kind of a statement on, on who built Las Vegas and these buildings, you know? And so, yes. Um, yeah, and so this was a really fun project uh, to do. This was on the first day that it was up. And then, fun story, um, people at music festivals do drugs. <laughs> and when there's a fluffy pink building in front of them, they try to set it on fire. So oh, <laughs> um, it quickly became the fire hazard of the music festival, and they had to put a huge fence around it. Wow. I know. The best laid plans. That's too bad. <laughs> I know, I know. Although now I want to see it on fire. Is that weird? No, I think that's human nature. We just want to burn stuff. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yep, it's happening right now. <laughs> By the way, I really like a stardust. Yeah. This, uh, this, this is cardboard, Eric. And uh, it's based on the uh, Stardust Hotel Casino. In, in Vegas. Yeah, so he made it like a Spanish sign, which I thought is just so so interesting and smart. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is the oldest piece that's on my website. Yeah, that's it's, on your website, yeah. Yeah, I made this when I was still in school as a, as a commentary on me growing up in Vegas. And yeah, that's how my grandma used to say stardust and how my family says it. And so... Yeah, it, it's uh, it's all completely made out of cardboard and glue, and um, uh, I just love I love neon signs. They're like they're my favorite artworks, you know, public artworks here in Vegas. Yeah, and there's there's less and less of them as time goes on, which is so sad. But that Stardust sign was so iconic. It was. There are yeah. they mostly doing LED now? Yeah. 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 It's all becoming a big mall on the strip which is so sad it kind of looks like uh times square now on the on the las vegas strip so that old neon vegas is kind of a, in the past it still exists a little bit downtown right. and they, they they have made new like neon style led signs that i think are cool like they're a nod to the past and yeah and still in the same style which i think is really cool but there's nothing like that it's not the toxic same glow. neon glow <laughs> yeah yeah. Put some mercury in there, make it brighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, so your grandma is all over your social media and like your your uh, talks yeah. talks about your work. Uh did you kind of grow up with her around or 
Yeah, I mean, family is really was really important to me, still is, and uh, I grew up with with my grandmothers and 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 just a huge extended family here in Las Vegas. My my dad's side is Mexican, and my mom's side is Guatemalan, and my parents split up when I was very young, and because of that, I think my family, you know, you know, like when there's a kid that has a speaking of a Disney movie, here we go. <laughs> you know, you know, when a kid, you know, only has one parent then the family pays a little bit extra attention to that kid. And I was that kid. And I was also the oldest grandkid on both, oh, okay. both sides of my family. And as a, as a Latino, like you're the golden boy kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And so I was, uh, I was, uh, I love, I mean, my family just showed me so much love and um, a lot of the work that I do is in honor of them and my Mexican grandma and my Guatemalan one too. They've, they're, they're always been very creative. Uh, my Guatemalan grandma has always been an amazing cook and a gardener. So like my fascination with like plants and bright colors comes from her. And then my Guata my Mexican grandma's always been She's my favorite artist. She's like, she's a sculptor in her own right. Oh, cool. Um, like when it comes to decorating her house, for example, she's yeah. that grandma that has the like Rococo furniture, you know, <laughs> covered in plastic, um, like kind of like an Italian grandma, you know, my yeah, grandma, yeah. she loves that aesthetic. So her house is, her house is like very Baroque. And then, <laughs> uh, and, she, and like for Christmas, my grandma turns it out. Like she'll build a nativity scene, but like she builds like all of Bethlehem basically from scratch. Like oh, she wow. stacks boxes up and crumples papers <laughs> up and makes this huge hill and puts the manger on top. And, and so wow. I've done a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of work with her and I started doing, and my grandma also crochets. So we've collaborated on some crochet work together oh, and cool. um, she's, her artwork is being collected now, like in collaboration with me, you know, and she's, and it's, I, I never thought my grandma would get so into it. Cause it's kind of hard, even, I mean, not just for Latinos, just like any culture, like what you make money from being creative. How does oh, that work? Right. For sure. Yeah. My, <laughs> I mean, my parents. Know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when uh my grandma and i sold this suite of sculptures that she made uh, out of crochet you know um she was just shocked like they paid you for this they paid us for this i'm like yeah here's your cut wow. you know and and it really encouraged her so <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah i know she's like i was i just thought i was doing this for fun with you i'm like no it's it's all work for it's me it's not fun get like, to work grandma. <laughs> it's not fun get to work grandma here's another sugar cube keep working yeah <laughs> exactly there's a yeah, workforce so... we haven't tapped into <laughs> <laughs> grandma exactly yeah. yeah so it's it's special doing work with with my grant with my family i also do i dabble in performance art once in a while and we do these performances called family fiesta where i i bring my family to an institution and we kind of break down the notion of like public slash like private space or like what a muse what a museum who a museum is actually for right so we've done these fiestas so you get your family in for free to your show. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. My family's been to Arkansas. They've been oh, to wow. Reno. Um, I've taken them to Denver. 
we've oh, had cool. them all over we've had them all over and we just kind of take over a space usually it's outside and we barbecue and we uh do pinata time and all that it's really fun and um, do people join in or are they watching they're jo they join in so i okay. kind of sell the performance as a activation it okay. usually happens during every museum usually once a month or every other month they'll have a family day yeah. so they'll so <laughs> they usually that's shape cool. it around that yeah that's how the idea came about actually was a museum asked me if i could come up with uh some programming for their family day and i thought well let's bring my whole family and let's party you know yeah 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 D does your family have a lot of parties like that normally is that yeah my family's yeah. always partying um even now uh which is uh <laughs> very oh. bad for them oh boy um <laughs> so i haven't it's like this divide within our family right now because a lot of people are like a lot of my family members are like, oh, we're all strong. Nobody's going to get sick in our family. And then the other half of us is like, we're not going to your party. You're crazy. Um, but um, during normal times, I will say that my family gets together like once a month. You know, it's always somebody's birthday or a holiday. Yeah. And my family loves to let loose and, and have fun. Did you grow up Catholic? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Here we go. Let the trauma <laughs> begin. Uh, <laughs> sorry, yes. not sorry. Actually, I did grow up Catholic, but I thought I, uh, I never was baptized. Uh, okay. My but my Mexican side of the family is Catholic, very Catholic, and my but my mom's side is evangelical Christian. So that's really where the wow. where the trauma came from. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I grew up with both worlds. So like. When I would go to my dad's side and go to mass sometimes, um, it was like vacation. It was like theater to me. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought Catholic church was awesome because it was like an hour in and out. People are wearing oh, yeah. costumes. There's incense. There's, you know, stand. It was, you sit, you stand. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I, I, they thought I was the weirdest kid because I thought it was so fun. <laughs> and then you get to eat afterward, you know, like it was so great. I thought it was great. Um, because I was used to like going to church three to four times a week with, on my mom's side and like, oh, no. you know, Sunday school was a whole, Sunday was a whole day, like two hours of service and you go to Sunday school and then they put you like in a youth group that you didn't want to really be a part of and have awkward conversations. It's, it was weird. But oh, yeah. after I turned like 18, I never, I never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I I saw that your grandma had the whole Jesus Christ uh, set up in in you had Was like she upset after you said Jesus is imaginary or just never hear this. Oh God, she'll never hear this. She would okay. be so upset. I mean, I, I feel like she knows that I don't I don't really care about that stuff. I mean, I care about it, but that I don't that I'm a non-believer. I will say, but I am a I'm very respectful um and understand that it's important to her and my family so i you know i kind of play along sometimes um but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek a lot i just love to say you know like hallelujah you know amen <laughs> when i'm home you know so yeah. it's fun i mean that stuff you can never really shake it it's with you for your whole life you know right right yeah i just saw i saw her like set up in in the house and you had written like sculptural installation and 
Um, yeah. And it just made me laugh. And I was just wondering. So this is one of your new works, I think, 2019, it says. Which one? What are you looking at? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this was um, for a show I did at UNLV called Sorry for the Mess. And it's a Muppet pile. So that big bird uh, that we originally saw, I restored it for this piece. That's the same big bird. And oh, this cool. was this was actually the initial idea. Like uh, in my head, oh. I, always, I always imagined this in my head, but uh the big bird was just like the first thing that i made um because really i wanted to make snuffy you know yeah um so so it's a big pile of muppets snuffy at the bottom and then it's big bird telly monster i think there's a blue one who's the Co blue one cookie monster cookie yeah monster? cookie then zoe then elmo, elmo. Yeah. oh no it's mm -hmm. rosita then elmo then zoe at the very top and okay. actually you can't see it in this shot but uh Oscar the Grouch is holding up the rear over there, holding up Big Bird's head. Oh, cool. And, uh, and Wormy is, is part of that, too. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. How do you take them removing Sophilopagus from more and more uh, Sesame Street? Because they don't like the idea of imaginary friends. Did they? What do you mean? Say that again. So <laughs> Snuff Snuffy is uh -huh. in less and less episodes because... Parents complained about Big Bird having imaginary friends. And so their response is, okay, fine. And so they effectively just have removed them from all new episodes because the idea of having an imaginary friend is bad. Really? Yes, really. Oh, I thought that they made him real, that they changed they changed the story. That uh, could uh, be it, too. He was gone for a while because of that. So that might have been the solution was to... Make him real. You know, I think that's great, but I also think that it's a lie and that they just don't want to puppet um, Snuffy because <laughs> it takes four people to hold him up. Um, so they're just getting lazy over at Sesame Street. Um, I I don't know, but that's very interesting. Like, is it bad for kids to have imaginary friends? I don't. I don't know. I I guess right. I mean, Sesame Street does the research, so I bet they know. But I can't imagine as a like a, as an only child, for example. I, I feel like having imaginary friends is pretty natural. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think at one point it might have been thought it was a bad idea. I think that's gone the way of the dodo bird in terms of thinking. So, you know what it is. I think I, I remember. It's all coming back to me now. I think that um, it wasn't the fact that Big Bird had an imaginary friend. Is that it's that the people on Sesame Street didn't believe that Snuffy was real. So it was teaching kids that adults don't trust you. Oh, okay. You know, so I think that was that was the issue. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the issue with 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 Snuffy, is that Big Bird, nobody would believe Big Bird, and that was giving some kids that was triggering some kids that have probably gone through real trauma and they nobody believed them. You know. Well, I just learned something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. When you uh when did you start really working large? I think since the very beginning, I okay. knew it. I knew that that was a way to make an impact. Like just taking up space in a gallery was a way to make a statement in a very easy way. So I think from the very beginning, I was working large. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Is it um? difficult to plan out or do you kind of like do math and sit down and draw everything out ahead of time 
Oof, I hate math. I try not to do math as <laughs> I try to get away with not mathing as much as possible because I do not like it. Um, which is ironic because I taught middle school math for a year. Uh, that was the hardest job of my life. Um, but um, <laughs> I, like for example, when I do the most of the large work that I do, I do it on site. Um, and so like the big installations, for example, the, the design of the murals that I do, I basically yeah. just do the color by number on site. Like I'll oh, just okay. project, I'll project the real image and just trace it and start labeling like right there. Oh, cool. And so, okay. I don't, so I don't have to measure the wall. I just have to make sure the projection is big enough or I, or I, or I, the only math I have to do is to split up the, the projection if it's in pieces so that it matches, you know? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That's good. Like a good plan. I wouldn't have yeah. thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people think that like I like design everything ahead of time, but I try to do it on the spot. Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do my first installation remotely because of COVID yeah. um, in January. And so I will have to do math to uh, <laughs> figure it out a little bit more. But as far as the process, I think it's going to be the same thing. I'm just going to be kind of directing the process via Zoom. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where's that going to be? Or can you say? I can't say yet because okay. I haven't got my 50% deposit yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I hey. don't want to start promoting it. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, do, <laughs> don't do that many favors. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, mm. This is Eric. You can not really see, but this is in a gallery, and he's made uh, these la really large blankets out of Dorito bags. You can see them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can. There's another photo with my brother. You can kind of see them there too. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can see them, the back of them hanging there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. These yeah. are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this was a project I did in town in Vegas uh, with Test Site Projects. They're they're uh, like a fine art publishing house. They do these really great prints, and uh, at the same time, I was invited to like put up experimental work in the gallery there. I have been obsessed with Doritos since I could remember. I just love Doritos, and then when I became an artist, I started thinking about the cultural significance of Doritos and how. Um, you know, they're based on like Mexican food. Um, Are they really? I think what? so. Like chips and, okay. um, I mean the whole idea of chips, of tortilla chips, right? They're is corn like, based, whereas like potato chips are obviously potato based. So they're more yeah. about tortillas, corn. And the name Dorito probably comes from Doraditos, which means like little fried pieces, right? Uh, okay. And so, yeah. um, <laughs> See, it's just, it's so bastardized that I can't even like connect. Yeah. I can't even connect that. Yeah. And that's what attracts me to, to that brand. And like, I'm also obsessed with like Taco Bell and mm -hmm. like all the Tex-Mex food. Uh, and like, you know, this like amalgamation of, of like bastardized food that we consider Mexican food in the States that has now traveled the world. Right. And represents Latin, you know, like Mexican culture when yeah. it has nothing to do with Mexican culture, right? Yeah. So you mean I did they're not running around with chihuahuas in Mexico? 
think. I mean, I, I guess they are, but uh, <laughs> no, oh shit, <laughs> only only in certain parts. Um, but yeah, there's the not, Yokiro Taco Bell. Yeah, there's oh, no okay. Chihuahuas uh, hanging out with Shaq, like eating a double pepper <laughs> taco. Yeah, um, man, those were the heyday, uh, the heydays of of uh, Taco Bell advertising. Sure but, was. Um, ro- oh yeah. Um, well, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, Doritos, globalization of Mexican food. Yeah. yeah, like, um, oh, so I did this artist residency in Mexico, like a few years ago, not a few years ago, it's probably like over five years now ago. And, uh, um, I started to collect Doritos bags in Mexico because I thought it was interesting. I thought it was cool to see like Mexicans take on the Dorito and make it their own. Even, yeah. You know, so it was again something that was based on Mexican food. Then the Mexicans took it back and made it better. <laughs> you know, so because in Mexico there's so many different flavors. Even like the regular Doritos taste better. Oh yeah. I don't know okay. why, but they just have. They probably make it with like real cheese or something. And so, um, I started collecting all the bags of chips that I ate there, and then that's just started started uh, this collection of chip bags, and so. Ever since then, I've collected every Doritos bag that I've consumed, right? And then people <laughs> started, tra- people, then I started traveling a lot. And so, like, when I would go overseas, like in Europe, they, every country has its own version of Doritos. Yeah. So I yeah. thought it was fun to start collecting that. And then my friends that would like travel, I've never been to Asia, but like my friends that travel Asia and stuff, they will bring me back the weird oh, cool. flavors that they find there. So I had a really awesome collection. And so I was thinking of a way to make artwork with them. And so sewing them together and making them into blankets, it's kind of like this safety blanket. Yeah. You know, I, thought yeah. Was, I thought was a cool idea. And so... They remind me of those like uh, thermal blankets you see in movies about NASA. I don't even yes. know if they're real things, but like those like foil blankets that they're always using. Yeah. And so then that... And uh, unfortunately, you know, like you said, a lot of my work has a darker side. It also connects to the kids at the border in cages because yeah. they, they're giving them those foil blankets as blankets to sleep with, you know? So there's many layers to that. What a shit um, show that is. It's really a travesty. I, yeah. But I, I really am rethinking those pieces because they're so connected to those kids at the border um, and adults at the border. Um and one thing that I that I am vocal about and that I like to talk about is like kind of like the exploitation of trauma and the border as a Mexican American artist, as a Latino artist. Like if I'm being completely honest, like that experience of crossing the border, some of my family members uh, went through that, but it's it's not really my trauma to talk about because yeah. my family story is different. Like they came here on American Airlines, you know? So like, I don't yeah. know that, you know? And so, yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately I, I do see a lot of, I mean, I don't want to speak at a turn here, but I do see a lot of, of Mexican American artists capitalizing on that trauma when it's none of their fucking business to do so. Um, yeah. There's a fine line, I think, between uh, promoting, like giving attention to, and then just selling and <laughs> taking attention from right it's like yeah and that art can be very dangerous too because it's like so sentimentalist right and it's also like 
it, it also is made to like appease white guilt in a way. Like, mm-hmm. for example, the, uh, one of the pieces I saw that, that sure is very powerful is like somebody put a seesaw on the border. And so on one side is the Mexican side. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, and people are seesawing back and forth and yeah. people are like, see, we're all the same. We all like to have fun. And like, and then like white people will see that and feel all emotional and feel like, oh, let me help this artist. And then that kind of absolves them of the guilt that there's literally a kid in a cage a couple hundred miles, you know, or a couple hundred feet in the other direction, you know, like, yeah, uh, it's really weird. Like, so like museums will show that work and be like, look, we're making you aware of these issues, but how are they helping really, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But I think that was the first iteration of those Doritos bags. I, I think now I have a different idea of how I want to display them, uh, but I just have to work on my sewing skills because they are not good. So those <laughs> bags were all, those bags were all sewed, sewed together uh, oh, okay. um, with, the, with the sewing machine. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could give him the Tom Sachs for his, like, NASA missions. That would be amazing, actually. <laughs> that would that should be a goal of mine, to have my art in space. That would be so cool. Yeah. I mean, those Doritos bags, they're Mylar. They'll last. <laughs> they they'll make it. The Space Force new uh, costume or suit yeah. requires exactly. all the Ar- Artist in residence at yeah. Space mm-hmm. Force. Keep you fresh. Uh, I think we're winding down. Do you want to talk about uh, your most recent, the car that's in Philadelphia? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we I saw just... your pinata car earlier, and you've done a couple of those, I think. Um, but those were all cardboard, and this one is an actual car that you've decorated. Yeah, this one was so fun to do. It was, uh, it's, so I was approached by uh, this curatorial group from Philadelphia and uh, they do this huge, they do this like huge public art project or they have in the past. And so um, they asked if I would want to be a part of it. And when I started talking to the curator, they thought like, what if we did it with a real car or a few cars here in Philly? Originally I was going to fly down there to do it. Yeah. Cause this, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize like, these art projects that just kind of pop up that I do, some of them take years of planning, you know? Um, so by the time they're, you know, by the time they're made public, I'm already like over them, but. Oh, um, interesting. <laughs> which I think is funny, but no, this one, this one, this one had a really quick turnaround, but we were, we've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, so, so anyway, so I said, yeah, I would love that. But then COVID happened. So then I thought, oh, they're going to cancel this for sure. I don't know how they're going to make this happen. Yeah. Because I wasn't able to fly over there to make it a few months ago. Um, but the curator is like, well, let's just, why don't we try buying a car in Vegas? And then we'll just have it shipped to Philly. Um, and so, because originally we were hoping it would be a group of cars. But okay. Anyway. So you couldn't stop. go there. So they yeah. so they decided to buy a car in Vegas and then ship it across the country. Yeah, so they sent me, you know, there was a very minimal budget, you know, but you can get an old car for under a couple grand, you know? Yeah. And so I wanted an older car, but, you know, once you get into, like, the 70s, those are, like, if the car's still standing, it's probably worth something, right? Uh, because right. people took care of it. And so we were looking at cars like from the 90s and 80s that were kind of in our budget. And 
Uh, one of the cars on the list that popped out was the 1984 uh, Thunderbird, which happened to be the first car that my mom bought, the same make and model. That's uh, so it was, interesting. <laughs> it was the first car she bought with her own money. It's the first car I remember as a kid when I was like five, you know, four or five. I remember riding in, the, in that car with her. Oh, cool. Um, and I rem- also remember... The attachment my mom had to that car. I remember she had to sell it to buy a minivan because our family got bigger, you know? Yeah. And she, cr- I saw her weep. She oh, cried <laughs> when she had to let go of her white Thunderbird. She loved that car so much. Um, and so when, <laughs> when, when that, when we bought the car, uh, I thought I got to make this a, this piece about my mom. So, um, my mom actually designed that lowrider. So if you look at the design, wow, cool. she wanted she wanted to pay tribute to her Guatemalan roots. So it's the Guatemalan flag, basically. Yeah. Um, the blue uh, the blue stripes on the side, and then the quetzal uh, in the middle of the original Guatemalan flag is more of like a crest, but we made it into like a more of like a logo or like a Mustang, also like with the stripe going down the back, but the bird on the hood, like a old Thunderbird, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. or like a Firebird, I should say. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know, you know the Firebird logo. I was thinking yeah. of that. Yeah. My uncle had a Firebird too, so it's like you know, there's all these little references, but the colors and the design was all my mom's. Uh, I did it all with my mom's guidance, basically, oh, cool. and. Since this was going to be outside, I also I also didn't make this one out of paper. This one is made with with fire retardant and water resistant fabric. Interesting. Yeah, that How, looks like tish, that looks like tissue paper. It does look like tissue paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <laughs> So that changes my idea of how they shipped it. How did they ship it? Just on like a car truck or? Yeah, they shipped it in a, in a, sem- on a semi. Yeah. In a car on truck. A sem- yeah. Was it like, yeah. exposed to the elements? No, no, it wasn't okay. covered. It was just like a semi with the, that was covered. And there was oh, like. covered. Okay. Yeah. When they picked it up, we were the last car to like fit into the bottom part of it, you know, cause it was double stacked with yeah. cars and it was like. I think people bought really fancy cars and we're having them shipped to the East coast. So there was like a Ferrari and a Porsche in there. <laughs> and like, then a, it was, <laughs> the yeah. And then 1984 my, like, Thunderbird. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't even turn on anymore. So we had to like push it up the ramp with all of our might. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, so it, it can be rained on and I don't know. Yeah. I, guess just I mean, it's snowed on. It's, yeah, it's been out there for over a month now, and it's still there. I think it'll be up for another week or so. Okay. Yeah. Will it, will it live somewhere else after that? I don't know. I, I actually, I'm in. I'm going to have a conversation with the curators later later next week about the future of this car. Okay. But I might, if it does live on somewhere, I might have to repair it a little bit because uh, it's been through it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look as nice anymore. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of these are temporary, but that's kind of what installation work is. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a temporary, which is kind of sad sometimes. Yeah, I mean, most of the work that I do is usually destroyed afterward, like when they're like the big murals. Yeah. Yeah, but it's recyclable at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. 
Justin, this has been really fun. I hope it was fun. <laughs> yeah. You, you were not as mean as I wished you were. Oh, I know. I could have been meaner, but I don't know you. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe next time we'll have you back. Yeah. Next time just, I'll be ready. Just be a jerk. Yeah. It's um, so funny that you think I'm nice. That's great. Oh, you're just so nice. <laughs> do you think he's nice or not i on a scale of one and nice he's nice yeah oh thank you one last thing i have to ask uh is the uh -huh. skeleton shirts uh-huh um you you're always wearing those skeleton shirts uh why <laughs> um well it's my uniform i always okay. wear it when i am justin favela the artist you'll always see me in this outfit it's like a, it's just a conscious decision I made maybe like, uh, maybe like four years ago now. Um, that's so freaking uh, badass, by the way, <laughs> that I you just, have like an artist uniform. Yeah. I mean, do you put on a character when you do that sort of, or is that? <sighs> yeah. I think that's why I do it is because I noticed that like when I'm, when I'm doing an art installation at a museum or like doing a podcast or whatever, we all kind of go into character, you know, yeah. a little bit, at least a little bit. And so um, it's a way for me to like mentally like, okay, I'm working now. And, uh, and to remind myself that, that I'm working. Yeah. Um, and cause it's like last year, I think I wore this outfit every day, like, <laughs> for like six months straight you know yeah and yeah. so now now i'm trying to have more of like a real life and a personal life you know so on saturday or maybe on sunday i don't wear this outfit and i can just do like normal people stuff right yeah and so um it was a way to pay honor also to my family and to my mom who has to wear a uniform every day mm -hmm. to go to work and like clean a casino and then you know, as like like my artwork has many layers, but like the the skeleton is also a way to like reclaim, you know, Day of the Dead and connect yeah. myself to like the calaca and like the symbols of Chicano art and stuff. So they yeah. they do celebrate Dia de los Muertos in Mexico still, right? Is that? Yeah, they they celebrate it mostly. I mean, before Coco came out. Uh, before now they no, I mean yeah. yeah. Now they celebrate it everywhere, but uh, it's like a southern, central and southern Mexican tradition. Okay. And it's celebrated in South America and in Central America as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's like a very Mesoamerican holiday. Mesoamerican. Yeah. So like, uh, I would say like Central Mexico and down, like Central Mexico and like between Central Mexico and like Northern South America. Okay. So like. Is Mesoamerican? Uh, yeah, Mesoamerican. Okay. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I this promise. has been your geography lesson. With but I, seriously, I have like notes and notes of of stuff because you. Oh, just, that's awesome. You've done so much uh, online interview. Yeah. Everything that, like, I was just overwhelmed with material to ask you and talk to you about. But uh, awesome. I think what we did ask you and talk to you about was pretty awesome. So, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Keegan. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello. Hello. And welcome to what I like to call the end of the episode. 
Thank you so, so much to Justin Povella for coming on the show, talking about your work. We had a great time talking to you. If you want to follow Justin, he's at Favifav on Instagram. His work is at justinfavela.com. Commission him, hire him, buy his buy his paintings, do what you need to do. He's just a fantastic artist. Uh, but but follow him on Instagram. I think is the bare minimum there. Yeah. Also, thank you to Eric for coming on the show last second, jumping in, being a friend. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. We're everywhere that you listen to podcasts. I don't know where you're listening to it now, but if it was a strange place, you can listen to this podcast uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, I think we're on TuneIn. Does anyone use TuneIn? I don't use TuneIn, but we're on TuneIn in case somebody does. So uh, yeah, listen to our podcast. Again, there's more episodes coming soon. The SMFA art sale is running from November 9th through the 23rd. You can visit smfa.tufts.edu slash art sale to view more about the show. In fact, they have the catalog up now. It's a PDF and you can flip through it online and see the art that's going to be in the sale and the artists in the sale. Uh, For instance, I'm on a page right now of this catalog. It's Helena Metafaria. She's an MFA 15. The piece is called Headdress 5. It's from 2019. It's a mixed media collage. It's 39 by 21. So I know where to put it on my wall. And the price is right here. So I I know exactly what I'm going to pay for it. That's a good catalog, in my opinion. Uh, It also has a little bit about the artists and about the work. So even if you're just browsing, you can uh, view some really cool art in this catalog. And uh, it's really well done, too. It's well designed. So without dragging this out too long, I want to say thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.